you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com events. It's Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. A big day across the United States and, of course, here in Southern California. It's Election Day and neither rain nor snow keeping Southern Californians away from the polls. A very good morning to you. As Suzanne was just saying, I'll be with you tonight along with our Frank Stoltz and a bevy of guests talking about the very earliest election returns here in Southern California. And, of course, the big national returns with so many races that are being hotly contested. You'll hear that coverage starting at 5 o'clock from NPR right here on KPCC. And then Frank and I will be on at 8 o'clock to bring you the very latest results and to check in on the locations where so many of uh, the candidates and the various ballot propositions are headquartered. But we begin with the reporter you just heard with Suzanne L.A.U., uh, who is KPCC and L.A.ist reporter at the Boyle Heights Senior Center right across from Theodore Roosevelt High School. Uh, thanks so much, Ellie, for joining us. Um, share with us, first of all, about how the weather, um, if it is, uh, might be affecting the turnout. Hi, Larry. Well, it was raining a lot heavier earlier this morning when the polls first opened. It was pouring and it was cold and dark and windy. And when I was heading over here, there was a lot of water on the roadways. So it's quite quiet, but it's been picking up. Um, you know, not too long ago, the rain has stopped at least for a little bit and more people have been pulling up into this parking lot and going in to vote before they go into work. Of course, rain in L.A. is always a big deal. So we'll be seeing how that affects turnout. All right. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Some people might have waited just a little bit for that rain to taper off today. Uh, Ellie, you had a chance to talk with a, a number of people, in, including uh, a couple of Boyle Heights residents. Why don't you uh, share with us what uh, Lupe Chacon had to say? I, I, she's a Boyle Heights resident who came before work as well. She was one of the first people who came to vote. It was still raining then, and I asked her, you know, why she came to the senior center in the rain. Here's what she said. I vote every year. does not matter. Rain, whatever. I'm out here. I think it's our civic duty at you, the least. Do you um, like voting in person? You know what? I didn't get my, my ballot so in the mail, so I had to come in. I don't know what happened to it. So usually I do. I prefer person. All right. And and so you've got people for whom the whole experience of being there on Election Day itself adds to the pleasure of voting. And, um, you know, with so many people voting earlier, it, it is a different experience, Ellie, than it than it used to be, uh, where you'd have often people lined up, you know, waiting to cast a ballot. Some parts of the country we've seen lines, but uh, I take it you haven't seen any long lines where you've been. Right. No, I have not, Larry. It's been pretty, you know, there's, it's very easy to get in. There's no way at all. And, and you're right. It, it's been different. You know, more people are opting to vote by mail. You know, in the, in the June primary, more than 80% of LA County voters 
voted by mail, but there are, you know, still people who prefer voting on actual election day. There's just something about doing it on the day of, you know, I've ran into parents in the past who wanted to show their kids, you know, what it's like to vote. And this morning I ran into um, a woman um, who voted by mail, but she brought in her grandfather, um, her 82-year-old grandfather, who was voting for the first time. He just became a citizen, and, you know, he, he prefers uh, to wanted, you know, he wanted to do it in person. You know, there's more assistance um, here at the vote center to do it in person, and he's sort of having trouble with his eyesight. So, he, you know, there are people who are voting for the first time and, and, and want to come and experience that. So there are definitely, you know, people who still um, prefer uh, voting in person versus versus you know, just dropping off their ballots or sticking it in a, sticking it in a mailbox. And Ellie, you have another Boyle Heights resident you talked with, and, and you can share his thoughts with us. Yes, in terms of what issues, you know, are on voters' mind this year, I've um, spoken with residents. It's been a range from local to national issues like inflation. Um, I spoke with Boyle Heights resident Tony Bunuelos. He says he, he lived in the area for more than a decade. His family has roots here. And he says it's important to have a say in the issues that affect the community. Here's what he said. Going on over about 12 years. My family's from the area. I moved back into the area. So. Oh, okay. And um, what brought you out this morning? My, it's my civil duty. I mean, I have to vote. My, you know, we are people that are underrepresented. So um, I feel that we need to make an impact. And the only way we can make an impact is by getting out and voting. All right, Ellie. So a chance to talk with folks and hear that dedication, as we just heard from from Tony uh, talk about that. And um, nice to hear that things are picking up as the rain is, has eased off uh, just a little bit. Anything else to add before we let you go? Um, well, I am in uh, Kevin DeLeon's uh, district. Um, he was one of the three council members in that conversation of racist remarks that leaked recently and has resisted calls to step down. He's not on the ballot this year, but the city hall scandal is in the backdrop of today's elections in the city limits. One expert told me it's hard to tell whether or not um, you know the leaked audio will have any impact on today's turnout. Some voters who feel you know angry might feel galvanized to vote, and then there are others who might feel disillusioned by the whole process and politics in general, and choose not to vote. All right, LEU, thanks so much. We'll look forward to your continuing reporting out at polling locations like the Boyle Heights Senior Center right across from historic Roosevelt High School. Thanks very much. You bet. KPCC LA's reporter, LAU. You'll be hearing her throughout the morning. So good to have you with us. Air Talk, it's our brand new time, 9 o'clock every weekday morning right here on KPCC. Coming out of Morning Edition, particularly great today when we can update you on what's happening on this important election day. And next, I'm joined by Orange County's Registrar of Voters, Bob Page. Bob, good morning to you. Thanks for taking a few minutes on what's probably your busiest day of the year. Thanks very much. Well, thank you for having me, Larry. I appreciate it. So the last I saw from your website, it looks like about 27 percent of the uh, ballots mailed to voters have been returned. Is is that fairly current? Well, when you, when you add in the people who voted in person since our vote centers opened uh, last weekend, uh, we've had about uh, just over 30 percent turnout through last night. 
um, a total of uh, 553,000 ballots have been returned. Either Most of those are mail, but we have had about 48,000 folks who've used our vote centers since they opened. And do you have any sense whether the heavier rain in the morning has um, led people to shift coming out a little bit later to vote, or you, can you tell that? Well, uh, through 9 o'clock this morning, the first two hours, um, while the first 10 days we had uh, just over 48,000 voters use a vote center, we've had more than 10,000 voters in the first two hours. So I don't – I mean, obviously it's raining and people need to be careful. We want to make sure they make a plan. They you know, go to our website, ocvote.gov, and, and find the closest locations to them, whether it's a drop box or a vote center. Um, but it doesn't appear that it's that's impacted turnout so far. Um, as I said, we've got just over 10,000 in the first two hours. Today. That's great. And is this trending about what you're used to seeing in a midterm election? Um, you know, I, I don't typically you know make predictions about, about turnout. I want to make sure everybody has a chance to vote and we're ready for that. Um, we have been seeing, you know, compared to 2018, we we were seeing a little bit of uptick in, in early voting behavior, though when you compare it to the early voting behavior during the pandemic, um, it's kind of settled a little bit from what it had been in, in 2020 and 2021, um, but it's still a little bit more than, than we had in 2018. So, you know, it, it seems people are, are interested in this election yeah. out and, and we're ready to, ha- to help them. Well, I was wondering if you might be trending at all ahead, given you've got you know, some very close congressional re- uh, races in those districts. And, you know, when when you have close races, of course, that can that can really help to juice turnout. People feel like uh, their vote is is you know going to be particularly important in those cases. That's true. But obviously, every vote counts. So, you know, we we want to make sure that that we help people vote whatever the whatever's on the ballot um, so that they get that opportunity to exercise their right to vote. But I, but I agree that that if there are races that people are interested in, it, that does potentially drive turnout. Um, and you know, it's 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 possible that that in 2020 and and the recall election that we had more early turnout because people had made their minds up early. They weren't waiting for anything to change their mind. Whereas, you know, this this year, you know, maybe people are waiting a little bit to see what happens. We're talking with Bob Page, Orange County's Registrar of Voters. If you have questions about the election, just the process of voting, we have registrars with us throughout much of this first hour of the program. It's a great opportunity to you have uh, the experts answer your questions about the voting process. We got some Excellent questions yesterday. Uh, again, this isn't about any candidates or ballot measures or that sort of thing. We steer clear of that on Election Day. This is about the process of voting. Plus, I'd like to hear from you um, what the experience was like for you going to the polls this morning. Hopefully it was smooth and efficient and you being able to cast your ballot and a nice communal experience for you. I'd like to hear about it, even if it wasn't so great. And you hit some snags, 866 866- 893-KPCC. That's 866-893-5722. Or you can email us at atcomments at kpcc.org. Bob, my sense is that with the counties that have moved to vote centers, so you have fewer locations, but they're much more full service than polling places used to be, that that seems to have cut down on some of the technical challenges that existed um, with having, uh, you know, the larger number of polling places. Is that true for Orange County? Well, what I would say is by by having your voting locations open for more days, um, 
that's the people that we hire to help us, you know, people from from the community, you know, the people who are voting are, are being helped by their neighbors and family members um, to help them with that process at the vote centers. The, the benefit I see of having your locations open for several days is they get a lot of on-the-job training when it's slow those first few days. And so when you when you get your majority of your voters coming in on the last day, um, they've had a few days under their belt. Some some of them have had 10 days under their belt, some have only three. But I think that really helps with the, the level of service they can provide. They've, they've had issues that have come up those days, um, get that practice they need so that when, when they have the, the larger crowds that come in on Election Day, they're ready for that. We're talking with Bob Page, Orange County's Registrar of Voters, also with us from Riverside County, Registrar Rebecca Spencer. Rebecca, thank you very much for being with us. Share with us uh, how things are looking with returned ballots in your county. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, We have about 300,000 returned ballots, a little over 300,000 returned ballots in Riverside County. So that's about, puts us at about 25% 25% um, turnout as of right now. Of course, that number will grow much higher as we uh, get the the, voted, the people who voted in person today, as well as all of the vote-by-mail drop-offs that come in at the vote centers, as well as through the mail. And how have, uh, using vote centers in the past few elections, how has that changed the process in Riverside County? So I would uh, agree with uh, what Bob said, that uh, it helps them get the practice they need when we're open for more days. So we uh, hire about uh, about 2,500 people to uh, work at our vote centers. And when they uh, are assigned to a 10-day vote center or 11-day vote center, they get uh, lots of practice leading up to election day um, when we see the most people, the larger crowds turn out. So that's been very helpful. All right. Very good. And did you have trouble hiring people? I mean, this is uh, we're in a a time where uh, employers are really um, wanting to have people that they can hire. Was it more challenging to hire people to staff the vote centers this time than it was a couple of years ago? Not for Riverside County. Uh, We started our recruitment process back in July, and we are very fortunate to be able to get really good turnout in our recruitment efforts. Uh, I would say we had more difficulty in 2020 when we the, the pandemic was still rapid oh, yeah. and people just weren't really um, interested in going out and working in a boat center at that time. So for this election, we were very fortunate. And are, are a number of the people that you now pay to staff the vote centers, are they people who formerly volunteered to work polling places? Yes. So we have a mixture of both. Um, we have people who have worked at polling places for um, many, many years. And so they will also work at, they've also volunteered to work at our vote centers. It's a little bit more, it's a little bit different in that polling places were only for one day and vote centers are for four days or 11 days. Uh, so it depends on their availability, but we do see a mixture of uh, new people signing up as well as return um, poll workers. Stacy in Glissel Park has a question. I'll ask it of, of you, Rebecca. It says, her husband has been out of town for three months. He's authorized me to fill out and drop off his ballot. Am I allowed to do that? Well, we, we would still need his signature. 
Um, so he could, uh, uh, depending, well, all counties have remote accessible vote by mail on their website. So he would be able to use remote accessible vote by mail that has an oath, and he could print that oath out, print his ballot out, and, um, and mail it in a regular envelope. But you can't sign for a different voter. We still need your signature. And if he's out of, she doesn't say if he's he's out of the county or out of the state, would this work for a registered voter in, in say, your county uh, if that person is in another state as long as they get it postmarked by 8 o'clock Pacific time? That's correct. Okay. So they could still mail it from out of state as long as they meet met the time deadline. Um, okay. As long as it's postmarked by today and received in our office within seven days. All right. Uh, Anna, in the Pico Robertson District of L.A., said, I had a really good time voting today. I was surprised how warm and friendly everyone was, especially in this weather. I walked in with a mail-in ballot I'd filled out. I was able to fill in a new live ballot there and submit it a flawless experience. Anna, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing it. We'd love to hear from you. What was your experience like if you voted today? We want to hear from you. Uh, not, of course, who you voted for or anything about you know particular issues or candidates was the experience of voting like for you today 866-893 kpcc will continue our conversation with riverside county registrar rebecca spencer orange county registrar bob page is with us and joining us momentarily santa barbara county's registrar joe holland it's air talk on kpcc we'll be back in just a minute Support for LAS comes from Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum, returning with a season of outdoor summer repertory theater on its scenic stage in the woods of Topanga, with picnicking in the gardens before the show. A Midsummer Night's Dream is back, along with The Winter's Tale, Wendy's Peter Pan, and Tartuffe Born Again set at a TV station in Baton Rouge. And for a contentious election year, Bernardo Cubrias, the Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latin vote. Tickets at theatricum.com. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. It's Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. We have the honor of talking with three registrars from our Southern California counties that we serve. Orange, Riverside, and now Santa Barbara County. Joe Holland is the registrar there. Joe, thank you so much for being with us. What are you seeing in the way of uh, ballots returned to this point? Well, Larry, thank you for having me. Um, in Santa Barbara County, we have 237,000 registered voters. So, we're obviously a lot smaller in Orange County or Riverside, but so far we have, um, as of yesterday, 65,000 ballots in, so about 27%. So we're, we've had some ballots come in on top of that, so we're probably consistent with what Orange County has at this point in time with probably a 30% turnout. And in... Um, September 21 for the recall election, 
we had a about 165,000 ballots returned, and in 2018 we had 155,000 ballots returned. So we're looking at maybe having 90,000 more ballots cast today wow. until last minute to drop off their vote by mail ballots. All right, and and uh, do you use the vote center model in uh, Santa Barbara County, or are you still using the polling locations? So we have not transitioned to the vote center model, the Voters Choice Act, yet. Um, I was involved with helping uh, create that model, and um, one of the challenges for Santa Barbara County is finding polling locations for vote centers that can be open for those four days, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. during the 2020 election when California went all vote by mail for the first time, we had vote centers during the pandemic, but we were able to utilize locations like high school gyms. Obviously, getting a high school gym for four consecutive days is not really an option now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, now that schools are back in session, that they need those high school gyms for having basketball games or gymnastics tournaments. And so so what we're looking at, we're, we are looking to go into Voters' Choice Act, and um, but we're looking at possibly having to rent out, like, hotel ballrooms. Yeah. It's it pretty expensive. So moving to the Voters' Choice Act, we are looking to do that, but it is expensive for Santa Barbara County, so we'll – need to get the Board of Supervisors to pony up with some extra money. Well, I was going to ask if houses of worship might be an option, but, of course, it would have to leave their um, their actual places for services open for people to use almost certainly one of those days, either Friday night, Saturday, or Sunday. So so the challenge, I guess, would be coordinating with, with the place of worship schedule. Yeah, and from what I've heard, and, and maybe Rebecca or Bob can chime in on this, but a lot of the uh, churches for the vote center counties, they've actually stepped up to the plate and uh, have accommodated four days of voting. Wow. Facilities are a little different, but that was one of my major concerns was if you have a vote center on a Sunday and you have all these people going to church, yeah, be a problem, but... So far, it's, I think it's turned out fairly well. So is that something you, you'd consider uh, for establishing your voting centers in Santa Barbara County? Uh, absolutely, we would. Uh, you just need to make sure that they're fully on board for those four days, yeah. Saturday through Election Day, Tuesday. And we would need them you know, to commit to that up, up to a few years in advance for uh, – these cycles of elections, because um, we can't wait till the last minute and have somebody cancel out for four days. Bob Page, uh, Registrar for Orange County, what are some of the locations that you're using for vote centers, and how big a challenge was it to secure those locations for four days? Um, it, it, it's a it's a process. We have a, a team of people. We bring on extra help that that make these calls for months, uh, trying to make these arrangements. You know, get contracts signed. Um, so we we have a variety of sites from from city community centers and and those kind of things. To we do have some churches. Um, we had because of the 
the extended number of days, we shifted away from the traditional model of using an elementary school or or, or another school to to have it to working with school districts and and having having them set aside some room actually in their district office for us. Um, so we we uh, recruited 181 vote centers for this election. We actually had to close one today because of evacuation orders in the Silverado Canyon area um, due to flood, uh, flood dangers um, in the bond burn area, but we still have 180 open today. So. What, what did you do in that case? I happened to catch on television, I saw that posted a notice of the vote center closed because of the evacuation. Do you then direct people to the next closest center? Yes, we do. We um, we did a number of things yesterday in working with the, with the county, with the um, emergency operations center, uh, the county uh, executive office to help us with, with the messaging, the sheriff's department. Yesterday afternoon, the sheriff's department actually sent deputies out and did door knocks to let people know about what was then a voluntary evacuation and this morning has shifted to a mandatory evacuation. When they were doing those door knocks, they, they held, had with them a flyer that listed the four closest vote centers and, and drop boxes they could use. Um, but there's also a good community in that in that community, it's pretty close knit. People talk really well, and, and word spreads fast. So we actually saw an increase in in voters coming in yesterday while we were still open. Um, and so we we served them for three days at our vote center. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now in terms of how many people used it yesterday, but we made we treated yesterday as election day for for that vote center and, and brought all of our equipment and all of our ballots back. Oh. Very good. Very good planning. We're talking with the Registrar of Orange County, Bob Page. I have a couple of uh, Orange County residents with questions for you, Bob. Lisa in Irvine emailed, why does Orange County no longer use electronic voting machines at vote centers? Well, what we do use in our vote centers is accessible ballot marking devices. Um, So when somebody checks in at at a vote center, they can mark a paper ballot if they'd like, or if they need assistance with marking their ballot, they can use an accessible ballot marking device. We, when somebody wants to hand mark a ballot, we print the ballot for them for their specific precinct. They take that to the voting booth and mark it, and then before they leave, they they place that ballot in a ballot scanner. So we're starting to actually count the votes on those ballots as they're being cast. All right. Very good. Uh, we have Sushant in Culver City who emailed, my parents and I became citizens this year and voted for the first time, for me, the first time anywhere. Sushant writes, it was an incredibly smooth and pleasant experience. We all dropped off our filled out ballots to a vote center and having the center open for many days prior. Sushant, congratulations on your citizenship, you and your parents, and being able to vote for the first time. And I think it's great for all of us to hear that because anyone I've ever spoken with who has become a recent naturalized U.S. citizen and then had the opportunity to vote for the first time after that, it is such a rich experience. And um, in many cases, the people I've spoken with, it's been almost overwhelming. It's just because it, it has been such a journey to get to that point, to be able to cast a ballot as a new citizen of the United States. So, Sushant, thank you so much for sharing your experience and congratulations to all in your family. Kimberly and Tustin emailed us, my daughters at UC Santa Cruz were from Orange County. 
We sent her ballot to her via U.S. Postal Service. She filled it out and mailed it in on Friday. I'm not sure how this works since she's not in our county, and I assume it takes longer to process to get down to O.C. Can you clarify how that works and if you think her ballot will be properly received? That's Kimberly in Tustin. Bob? Yeah, so um, what I heard was that, that her uh, family member's out out of the county, but she mailed it a couple of days on Friday. Yes, on Friday. Yeah. So, as um, as was mentioned earlier in this this piece, uh, as long as a ballot is postmarked by today, November eight, then the postal service has seven days to get it to us. If um, the voter wants to track to make sure that we've received the ballot, we do have um, a ballot tracking service called OC Ballot Express. The Secretary of State uh, has a ballot tracking. Uh, process that it, that's called Where's My Ballot that she can sign up with and and go to our website, can see if we've received the ballot yet, um, whether we've accepted it for counting, uh, or if there's an issue with it. So, you know, we try to make sure that that service is available to all the voters. They have to sign up for it, though, to, to be able to track the ballot. And Kimberly, you should know your daughter at UC Santa Cruz is in good company because that's exactly the way that many college students vote today is by mail. And as long as they mail it in and get it postmarked before uh, 8 o'clock Pacific tonight, then it's counted. And, and Bob, those ballots, I mean, her ballot, for example, uh, if it arrives, say, you know, late today or even even tomorrow, let's say, because it doesn't matter if it's if it's postmarked by the time that that um, the polls close today, if it, it'll get counted. It's just maybe counted a day or two down the road. Correct. Yes. So um, when we post the first results tonight, just after eight o'clock, that will include all of the early mail ballots that we've processed and, and accepted for counting. And then as the the votes from our vote centers start coming back in, uh, we'll do a second posting about 930 and then every half hour. And we'll keep posting tonight until all of the vote center uh, votes are included in the results. And then tomorrow morning we come back in and we start processing all the remaining vote uh, mail ballots that we received today uh, or that we receive over the next several days, uh, provisional ballots, um, all those things. We keep working that. We've got under state law, we've got 30 days to finish up. Um, so through December 8th, and before we do that, we run a number of different audits to make sure that our results are accurate. So there's a still a lot of work to, to be had after today. Today's obviously a very busy day. It's when most of our people who want to vote in person do vote. Um, but we keep posting on our website the results, and we always say how many ballots we have left to still process. We have Sean in Redondo Beach who says, have the registers thought about using gyms as vote centers? Popular gyms like 24-Hour Fitness, LA Fitness, even the YMC would be great places to get out uh, to where younger people might be more likely to vote. Sean, I appreciate that very much. Rebecca Spencer, is is that something that you've contemplated or even uh, used in Riverside County? Uh, Sure, we would definitely look into it. Um, Some of the requirements for a vote center is, you know, available square footage. Uh, So we need the square footage to set up all of the voting equipment. And the location also needs to be um, ADA compliant and have plenty of parking spaces. And then we would need uh, approval from the owner or the management of the location. So those are all things that are taken into consideration when we're looking for a vote center. And, of course, they need to be available for either four days or 11 days. Now, do the locations typically donate the space for four or 11 days, or are they paid in exchange for, for being used as a vote center? 
In Riverside County, we have both. Um, the, the majority of our locations will donate that, um, and then usually they just ask us to cover uh, cleaning fees and maybe security guards. Dora in the West Adams District of L.A. emailed us, I love voting in person. We get to see and talk to neighbors, community members, and the staff of the vote centers, many of these community members being older folks who we've not seen in a long time because of the COVID shutdowns. That's Dora in West Adams. Thank you so much for that. Uh, that's great. Um, Shelly in Studio City emailed us, Since my older daughter turned 18 in April, it's been an incredibly gratifying experience sitting down as a family and discussing all the candidates and measures. We fill out our ballots together and then drive to the voting box at our local Studio City Library. I was thankful this morning in the pouring rain that I could wait in the car while my 18-year-old deposited the ballots into the drop box. Thank you, Shelley. Appreciate you sharing that. And because I think there are a lot of families who share very much the experience that you uh, that you talk about, which is it's nice. It's really nice to go through and talk about what you value and and what are the most important aspects of of what's going to get your vote. I want to thank our guests, the registrars of Orange County, Bob Page, Riverside County, Rebecca Spencer and from Santa Barbara County, Joe Holland. Thank you all so much for being with us. Coming up, we'll talk with political scientist Rafe Sunshine about the different ways that groups of voters have tended to cast their ballots over the years and what changes we're seeing in those voting blocks. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Support for LAS comes from Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum, returning with a season of outdoor summer repertory theater on its scenic stage in the woods of Topanga, with picnicking in the gardens before the show. A Midsummer Night's Dream is back, along with The Winter's Tale, Wendy's Peter Pan, and Tartuffe Born Again set at a TV station in Baton Rouge. And for a contentious election year, Bernardo Cubrias, the Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latin vote. Tickets at theatricum.com. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. Coming up next hour, we'll have the very latest on the storm here in Southern California. A flood advisory remains into effect for just about another hour. Flooding caused by excessive rainfall continues. A portion of our area, including the San Gabriel Mountains and the foothills of eastern Los Angeles County, are where the flood advisory continues into effect. Heavy rainfall could also trigger shallow debris flows in and near recent wildfire burn scars, including the fish, the bobcat, and the ranch two fire areas. Minor flooding and low-lying and poor drainage areas also can be expected. We've just got word that 
uh, the 110 freeway, the Pasadena freeway, is flooded at Via Marisol. Uh, Caltrans workers are, are trying to clear the drains right there. Also, the right lanes of the southbound uh, Interstate 5 from Brantford Street to the Sheldon Street, Laurel Canyon Boulevard exit in Pacoima are closed due to flooding, and they're trying to clear those drains as well. Not a surprise, particularly with our first heavy rainfall of this rainy season. And again, next hour, we'll have a detailed forecast and talk about where things stand and also how this precipitation relates to uh, the ongoing drought we experience here in California. But we get back to the election. It is, of course, Election Day, and we invite you to join us for our KPECC 8 o'clock local election coverage. Frank Stoltz will be with me, as will be Rafe Sonnenshine, Executive Director of the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State Los Angeles. Rafe, so good to have you with us. It's a chance to talk a little bit about sort of what we've seen in the way of historic voting patterns in Los Angeles County, particularly. You wrote the classic book about the coalition that elected Tom Bradley, the first black mayor of of Los Angeles, and that was African-American and Jewish voters coming together. What have we seen in most recent years with some of those voting blocks in the county? Well, they've they've risen and fallen, Um, and in some ways, uh, Karen Bass's coalition has has a surprising familiarity to the Tom Bradley coalition. She's had her strongest base of support from African Americans and white liberals, which I presume, although it hasn't been measured, would include a lot of Jewish voters, as as Bradley's did. She's competing for Latino voters, which is a reminder of the early days with Bradley as he was building his support among Latinos. Asian Americans are kind of the surprise of the election because in the early mail-in ballots, they're coming in at a very high participation level, and it hasn't been talked about very much because it's always been assumed that it's a community that isn't voting in large numbers. They may actually be the kind of um, secret sauce of this election, so we, we need to watch that community very carefully. All right, Rafe, and I just want to share, we have some more news that's just come in on uh, the storm. Uh, an evacuation order has now shifted from voluntary to mandatory for the Orange County canyons of Silverado, Williams, and Majeska canyons. Those three canyons are now under a mandatory evacuation order due to possible debris flows along or near the bonfire burn scars. So again, for listeners in Silverado, Williams, and Majeska canyons in Orange County, there is now a mandatory order to evacuate due to debris flows uh, and concern there. Uh, Rafe, when when you look at at, uh, Asian American voting, for example, you know, we're talking about very different ethnic groups. The patterns of arrival in the United States are are different. Um, And so how does that all factor into some of those affiliations you're seeing? Well, I think some of it is differences in counties. Uh, If you go to Orange County, uh, there's a considerable uh, Vietnamese origin community that has historically been quite conservative, but the younger generation much less so. And that's a factor in Orange County going from a you know, very conservative red county to now basically a, a slight blue majority county. 
In L.A. County, you've got longstanding communities, the Japanese-American community, the Chinese-American community, but I think there's an increasing sense of an Asian-American community and an Asian-American vote that has been developing for years now, and I think some of it is as a result of the hate crimes against Asian-Americans that have been so prevalent in the last couple of years. I think that has had a, a, a very important unifying effect uh, in the AAPI community. Rafe, another thing, when we look at black voters in, in Los Angeles County, uh, we went through a period where there was considerable relocation of, of black Angelinos to the Inland Empire, to high desert areas. And uh, so there there isn't as high a percentage of African-American residents as there was, uh, you know, going back to the period when I was growing up, for example, in Los Angeles. But still, African-American because of high propensity turnout for elections, high level of political involvement, um, we're seeing significant you know, representation. The L.A. City Council, of course, with uh, the scandal over the racist recorded comments, you know, sort of brought this to the fore. Uh, how is how has the black vote in L.A. shifted? Well, it hasn't so much as shifted as it's gotten smaller, although still very, very important because of all the communities in L.A., the African-American community tends to vote um, in a more cohesive way and sort of coalesce around certain candidates and not all African-American candidates. Uh, Mike Wu in 1993 did very, very well with African-American voters. It's a... It's about half the size as population share today as it was when Tom Bradley's uh, coalition was at its height, when it was about 18% of the population today, probably 8 or 9%. But I would normally expect that vote to be more of a share because of the high level of political attentiveness in the black community and a sense that elections, every single election, is urgent uh, in terms of how important it is to have uh, people in public office who are not always African-American, but will maintain an interest in the interests and, and security of the African-American community. That's not going away. That, it's, it's an important voice, a very important voice in the cities and counties' politics. Rafe Sonnenshine, Pat Brown Institute of Public Affairs, Executive Director with us on Air Talk. And so, you know, phenomenon we've been seeing over a period of time, Rafe, is that for Latino voters, underrepresentation in local elective office, even as there's been considerable growth, much of this attributed to that Latinos are, on average, they're younger, on average, than other demographic groups in Los Angeles County. And you still have a significant percentage of the population not eligible to vote because uh, they're not authorized uh, to be in the United States. So uh, when are we going to see more catch-up on that? Well, I think the actually, I think in recent years, I think the Latino voter participation is steadily going up, and I think as younger people become a little bit less young, uh, there's a general tendency in every community when you get to your 30s or 40s, you're much more likely to be a likely voter. However, there's something else going on, which is the voting by young people. Although we're, everybody's always constantly complaining about young people not voting, well, if people have looked at the last few elections. They're voting in higher numbers and higher shares, and that's going to be reflected in the Latino community as well. So it, it may not happen in every election, but I think, I think the community is coming into its own, and it's a long, long process to get there. And some of it is getting young people to vote, and some of it is just letting young people become older people.
Rafe, as always, good to talk with you. We'll look forward to doing it in a few hours. Thanks so much. Great. Rafe Sonnenshine, Executive Director of the Pat Brown Institute of Public Affairs, and more weather news for you. A flood advisory continues into effect in the Inland Empire until 11 o'clock this morning. Urban and small stream flooding caused by excessive rainfall is expected. Riverside and San Bernardino counties are expected to be affected with minor flooding and low-lying and poor drainage areas around the El Dorado and Apple Burn scars with Highway 38 subject to debris flows. Heavy rain is over the burn scars right at this point, and so that uh, small stream flooding is expected with potential debris flows. Some uh, locations that will experience flooding include the city of San Bernardino, Moreno Valley, Redlands, Yucaipa, Big Bear City, Forest Falls, Mount San Gorgonio, Onyx Summit, and Highway 243 between Banning and Idlewild, also the Lucerne Valley in the high desert. It's Air Talk on KPCC. We'll be back in just one minute. We'll keep you up to date on any additional mandatory evacuations in areas below burn scars in our local mountains, as well as areas where there might be a risk of flash flooding. I think, as I mentioned, the Pasadena Freeway, the 110, uh, they're trying to get the drains cleared around via Marisol. So there is a backup there because of flooding on the freeway, but it's not alone in the Pacoima area. There's some lanes of the five that are also flooded, uh, probably areas you're driving through that I'm not aware of that you're seeing some of that pooling water. So just be very careful, of course, as you make your way in some of the areas of heaviest rain right now. We continue on this election day with a chance for you to ask questions of our Brianna Lee, KPECC, LA's Civics and Democracy Engagement producer. She's part of the team of journalists here at LA's answering your election questions. So now is the chance for you to ask Brianna about your uh, any questions you have. We're at 866-893-KPECC, 866-893-5722. You can also email us at atcomments at KPECC. Dot org. Brianna, thanks so much for joining us. Let's start with people who, you know, didn't receive a ballot, not sure if they're eligible to vote or not. What can they do even on this election day to attempt to take part in the process? Hi, Larry. Thanks for having me. Um, well, I think the big thing to remember is that you can still register to vote all through Election Day until polls close at 8 p.m. So all you have to do, um, if you're if you're not sure if you're registered, first of all, you can check that online at your county registrar's website. Um, but if you don't have your ballot with you, you're not kind of sure, or, and it turns out you're not registered, you can always go in person to a vote center in your county and and go and register there. They'll they'll register you right up to the last minute today. All right. Very good. And then that is is what they call voting provisionally. And once they're able to uh, verify that you are an eligible voter, your ballot will be counted. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. One of the common questions we get, Brianna, is what do you do if you make a mistake? You 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 have your black or your blue ink pen there Mm. and you realized you filled in the wrong bubble. You didn't intend to do Mm. that. What can you do? 
Yeah, that's a common one. Um, you know, county officials have, have generally told us that if you just make a line through your wrong choice so that, you know, they can clearly see that it is, is a mistake and you fill in the correct choice instead, that will be fine. That's, that's what something that you can do that, um, you can turn in your ballot and sort of not have to worry that it's going to be misread. Um, but if you, if you are uncomfortable with, you know, having a mistake on your ballot, you can always go in person and just cast your vote in person instead and, and just not deal with a vote by a mail ballot. All right. Uh, also, we've had some questions earlier, people who weren't uh, in the county where they're registered to vote, which, of course, they can vote by mail as long as it's postmarked mm-hmm. by the deadline of eight o'clock Pacific time. It can be counted. And a lot of college students, for example, or people that are working out of the area can do that. But can you go to a vote center in a county other than the one where you're registered to vote and vote at that vote center? You cannot. So if you're in, if you're registered in like Orange County, for example, and you're in L.A., you just can't get out to Orange County today. Unfortunately, there's no way to vote in person uh, in L.A. with an Orange County ballot. Right. So um, you have to go to the county in which you are registered. And that's the only way you can kind of you can kind of make that happen. Um, the exception is I, I've heard from a lot of people who, you know, they're registered maybe in a different state and now they live in L.A. and they're wondering how they can vote. Um, if, if that's the case and you can re-register to vote in L.A., and then the only difference is that you're going to get an L.A. ballot, so all of your races on your ballot are going to be local races here. Um, so that's another thing that you can do, but you, you can't get you know a ballot from a different county and still vote in L.A. Another important thing to keep in mind, if you get to the ballot, uh, the vote center, and you're ready to vote, say, after work today, and there's a line and it hits 8 o'clock, you will still mm. be able to vote. And that's an important – just stay in that that's line. Right. It's kind of like our fun drive. Stay on the line. We count it toward the challenge. <laughs> that's how they That's how they work at the vote centers. If yeah. you're in line, they will allow you to vote even if they don't shut the door and say you're out of luck. So don't get discouraged. Vote if you're in line by eight. Yeah. All right. Uh, very good. Our, Matt D'Angelo Antonio, our line producer, said that was shameless. I don't know. I, whatever we can tie <laughs> to fundraising, right? Yes, it is a responsibility. Um, for um, uh, other questions that you're getting, Brianna, what are some of the, the other most common ones? Oh my gosh, we are getting so many questions about where to find information about judicial races. That's kind of our number one question every election season, actually. It's like, where can I find information about candidates running for judge? Because I see this on my ballot. I don't understand what this is all about. And this time around, we've got three different courts, right? So we've got your local superior court. It's LA County Superior Court, or if you're another county, maybe the Orange County Superior Court. Um, and then you've got the California Court of Appeals, and then you've got the California Supreme Court. So basically on Voter Game Plan, if you go to our website, las.com slash vote, you will see guides to all of these judicial races. And they work a little bit differently. So if you're looking at the L.A. County Superior Court, for example, these are sort of basic runoff elections where you have candidate A and candidate B. They're running against each other. All you have to do is pick one. But if you're looking at the California Court of Appeals or the California Supreme Court, these are what are known as retention elections. So you are voting on whether the that particular judicial candidate or that particular judge should retain their seat for an additional term or the rest of their term. 
And I can't. So you're me- voting yes or no? I can't remember how often is that every decade that they do that? every four years. Four years yeah, for four the confirmation years, yeah. vote. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. I was so thinking because- it was longer than that. Okay. Well, it's because, um, you know, governors get to appoint judges at the state level. So if they're, um, if they're appointing a judge, then, you know, when the next election comes around, the voters get to approve that choice, approve or reject that choice, um, just so the governor doesn't, you know, uh, it's, it's a check on the governor's power, essentially. Barbara in Hollywood says, can I use a Dropbox today? Can I go to a Dropbox in the city of Los Angeles if I'm not registered in the city of L.A.? Yes, Barbara, as long as it's in Los Angeles County, mm-hmm. anybody who is registered to vote within the county of Los Angeles can drop a ballot off either at a ballot drop box or at a vote center uh, anywhere within the county. But you can't cross the county line and say drop it in an Orange County drop box. That's not going to be valid. Uh, check me on that, Brianne. Is that accurate? Well, uh I think they prefer, I, I think county officials prefer that you will, if you're going to use a Dropbox or a vote center, you do it within the county in which you're registered. Yeah. But you know, a USPS mailbox is always an option. You can do that pretty much anywhere, anywhere, anywhere as long as it's postmarked by today. Yeah, yeah even out of state. You can uh, mail it in if yeah. you're uh, studying elsewhere. Brianna, thank you so much. Great to talk with you. She's on the case here answering your questions at LAS.com about the election, our Brianna Lee. It's Air Talk on KPC. We're going to give you the very latest on this storm affecting Southern California. What does it mean for our drought? We'll find out next hour. Support for LAS comes from Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum, returning with a season of outdoor summer repertory theater on its scenic stage in the woods of Topanga with picnicking in the gardens before the show. A Midsummer Night's Dream is back along with The Winter's Tale, Wendy's Peter Pan, and Tartuffe Born Again set at a TV station in Baton Rouge. And for a contentious election year, Bernardo Cubrias, the Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latin vote. Tickets at theatricum.com. All seven states on the Colorado River may have to cut back water, but not everyone agrees on how. From Coloradans who blame others for the crisis. There continues to be a look upstream to solve a problem that we did not create. To farmers who may lose their livelihoods. We don't want to cut equal with everybody else. Will they reach a deal in time? Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. It's Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. It's election day. And as Suzanne was just saying, we sure hope you join us for NPR's live coverage. They'll be taking a look at the polls close across the eastern half of the United States. That starts at 5 o'clock. And then at 8 o'clock, I'll be on with Frank Stoltz with our team of KPECC reporters fanned out at locations where candidates and ballot measures are holding their events tonight. We'll be bringing you the very latest on that. And, of course, just want to, you know, um, 
tamp down on expectations that the races are going to be decided tonight? Some of them might be, uh, but others are going to take undoubtedly days, if not weeks, to actually get a final certified result. Uh, in tight races, we're just going to have to be very patient for the county officials to uh, count all of those, be reported the state, and get a final result. But hope you stay with us throughout the day the very latest on what's happening with the election. And Julia Paskin, who's hosting All Things Considered for Austin this afternoon, uh, all kinds of important national and local news on ATC starting at 1 o'clock here on KPCC. Uh, let's get an update on how things are looking at another polling location. LEU has moved a bit across town. She's at Robert F. Kennedy Community Schools in Koreatown. For those of you like me who have lived Lived in Los Angeles a long time. That's the site of the old historic Ambassador Hotel uh, for many years now. It's been a school complex. Ellie, thanks very much for joining us from the new location. What's going on at RFK Community Schools? Hi, Larry. Yeah, there's a steady trickle of voters coming in. Um, again, they're like the previous voting center that I was at earlier in Boy Heights. There's no line, but people are coming to vote either in person or dropping off their ballots. Uh, the rain has stopped here as well. You could see the sun peeking out through the clouds. So I, I don't know if there's more folks coming in because the rain has stopped a little bit. Um, I spoke with one voter who said, you know, it doesn't matter if it's rain or sunshine. She votes every election. And she does vote both by mail and by, by in person. But for the big election, she likes to come in person. Um, I spoke with another voter, a, a young voter who's 29. He also uh, decided to vote in person because he just recently moved from out of state and didn't really know, uh, wasn't familiar with the process he processes here in in California. And so he liked the fact that he can go into the center and have people help him and assist him. So that's that's why he came to vote in person. And I and then I spoke with another voter who um, came in and drop off her ballot and she was uh, off on her way very quickly. Um, she said she came out to vote because um, she's concerned about uh, recent events and as a woman she is, has uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade on her mind. And so she wanted to come out and make her voice heard today. All right, Ellie, thanks very much. We appreciate you giving us the latest from RFK Community Schools in Koreatown, Los Angeles. Ellie is moving around, sharing what she's seeing and the conversations she's having with voters who are going to vote centers today to cast their ballot or to drop off their already filled out uh, ballots there at the vote center. KPCC LAist reporter Ellie Yu. We turn our attention now to the storm that's affecting Southern California. Just to update you, we have in Orange County, below three of the canyons that were affected there by recent fires, mandatory evacuations that have gone into effect. We also have some of the other areas uh, that are voluntary because of concerns uh, about debris flows in some of those areas. A flood watch is in effect uh, through this evening in the mountain areas locally, plus the Antelope Valley, Santa Clarita Valley, portions of the San Gabriel Valley until this storm moves through. Joining us uh, from the National Weather Service Oxnard office, Senior Service Hydrologist Jamie uh, Labor. Thank you very much, Jamie, for being with us. Uh, Where is the, the center of the storm at right now, would you say? Well, so, so we do have a storm that's coming through right now, and it's 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 in two pieces really. So there's there's a 
the first edge of the storm is going through uh, just exiting through L.A. County and moving into Orange County, San Bernardino, Riverside County. And then you actually might see a little bit of a break between that first piece of the storm and the main cold front, which is actually up in uh, San Luis Obispo and Santa Barbara County right now. So don't be surprised if you see a little bit of blue sky poking through um, later this morning or into the afternoon. But uh, be assured that the uh, cold front and the main part of the storm is on its way uh, heading south. So that's not just cold, but that's that's bringing some significant rain along with that front? Yeah, so we've already seen, uh, with, with the rain that we're getting right now that moved through Los Angeles County and that's moving down into Orange County, we've actually seen some what we call orographic or uplift, um, upslope-type rainfall that's causing some pretty good rainfall rates, uh, half an inch an hour, uh, maybe a little bit higher, up to six-tenths of an inch an hour in the mountains. So as that gets forced up over the mountains, you get a little bit higher rainfall rates. Um, as we get this cold front that moves through, this cold front that's up in San Luis and Santa Barbara County that we're expecting later um, this morning and, and into the afternoon, uh, that when that cold front moves through, we might see some higher rainfall rates with that one, um, upwards uh, maybe half an inch an hour up to an inch an hour, especially in the foothills and mountains. And so those those are the kind of rates that we uh, are concerned with our recent burn area. So those are, those rates could could cause some flash flooding and, and potentially debris flow issues uh, in those recent burn areas. Yeah, and we're already seeing down in Orange County some mandatory evacuations that are are in effect. So it it sounds like with that second front that you said is now in San Luis Obispo County, that uh, could we be seeing even more rain and 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 could that that mean that those folks are going to be out in the mandatory areas out through like the end of today yeah so by the time you know it's going to be probably late after it's going to be the afternoon mid-afternoon maybe to late afternoon early evening before that uh comes down into los angeles county so again like i said don't be surprised if there's a little bit of of clear or, or you might see a little blue sky this afternoon but that that cold front is on its way down, and you can expect it later today. And with that cold front, uh, we do have some uh, embedded thunderstorms in along that front. Mm. That's, those embedded thunderstorms are where we get the, the higher rainfall rates. And so that's those are what we're really watching um, as they move through those burn areas because those could, could uh, generate rainfall rates that could um, – potentially uh, result in some flash flooding or debris flow issues within those burn areas. And so that, you know, that's the reason why the agency or the, the cities and the counties, and they've done um, some of these uh, mandatory evacuations ahead of time. And, Jamie, do you know if if there's apt to be some heavy winds? Because I know sometimes with the thunderstorms, those disturbances, you'll get winds, particularly on the leading edge. Is, is that something that there's potential for? Uh, there is some potential for some wind, especially um, like you had mentioned, as if there are these embedded thunderstorms and uh, as those move through an area, you tend to see some wind. I mean, also, as this cold front moves through on the back side of the cold front, we tend to get some wind with it, too. Um, I think uh, it shouldn't be too awful significant with the wind, but there definitely will be some wind as that front um, 
associated with that front as it moves through. We're talking with Jamie Labor's Senior Service Hydrologist at the National Weather Service Oxnard Office, the Oxnard Office, which has uh, the northern portion of, of uh, the L.A. Uh, metropolitan area, the San Diego office, taking the southern portion of the region. We're talking about the rain that we're experiencing right now. Now, I, I know at the national uh, centers, um, not, at, not at the regional ones like where you're based in Oxnard, but the national tries to look at longer term forecasting. And I assume they look at things like El Nino or La Nina phenomenon, things like that, uh, ocean currents generally. What, are they making any predictions on what we're apt to see for our weather here in Southern California during this rain season? Sure. So um, I'm at a weather forecast office, and we generally look out seven to ten days. So we're looking at kind of the, the immediate forecast. But we do have our Climate Prediction Center, who's uh, part of the National Weather Service. They do look at these longer-range forecasts. And they do um, – they have some forecasts that – that go out through um, our winter season. Um, our wettest months generally here in Southern California are January, February, and March. And as we look out that far uh, into the future, um, we tend to look at the sea surface temperatures to give us an indication of what could be coming our way. So right now we are seeing uh, cooler than normal temperatures along the equator uh, out in the Pacific, which, which we equate with um, El Ni- or La Nina. So cooler than normal is a La Nina. Um, on La Ninas, this is actually uh, our third La Nina winter season in a row. And under a La Nina, when we have these cooler than normal conditions in the, in the Pacific, we tend to see Southern California have seasonal rainfall. So over the whole course of the winter, be um, it, it tends to be, or the trend is for it to be below normal rainfall. So. When we look at you know the drought situation that we've we've gone through a couple um, below normal winters, um, the trend right now with this La Nina sitting out there in the in the Pacific right now, the indicators are that it, we would most likely see, or the odds are that we would likely see a drier than normal winter this year. So, you know, we will get some storms that come through, but overall the season uh, is looking like it might trend towards drier than normal. Now that's Southern California. Yeah. Um, up in the Pacific Northwest and Northern California, La Ninas tend to be a little bit wetter. But Southern California, La, uh, La Ninas uh, tend to be drier. Well, since we get uh, so much of our water from the northern part of the state, we certainly hope that it is the case that they get a lot of snow up there over the course of this winter because that's good for all of us in California. Jamie, thank you very much. We appreciate you being with us. Jamie Labor, who's Senior Service Hydrologist at uh, NOAA's National Weather Service uh, in Oxnard. Also with us, um, Manager of uh, the Snow Surveys and Water Supply Forecasting Unit, Sean de Guzman. Frosty used to be my favorite snowman, but Sean is now. Sean, thank you so much for for being with us. How are things looking to this point uh, with these storms? It's dropping a fair amount of snow. Yeah, things are looking pretty good so far. Uh, looking at it so far, we have maybe about a foot, two feet of worth of snow in the Sierra Nevadas uh, with more to come. Uh, with most of that snow falling uh, throughout today and tapering off uh, midweek. Uh, in some locations, we could see maybe upwards of about five uh, five feet of snow or so um, right around Yosemite and Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks in that area of the mountains.
And are you able to determine the um, amount of moisture in the snow? Because I know sometimes it's, you know, you get half a year wetter and other times drier. What What is the composition of this snow? Uh, you know, usually the rule of thumb we use is anywhere between 10 to 20 percent of uh, freshly fallen snow is actually water uh, in terms of the density. So uh, you would expect uh, maybe around five inches uh, in those deepest parts of the snowpack, uh, five inches of actual snow water content where you're going to see about, uh, say, 60 inches of snow depth or five feet of snow. So uh, that's kind of the, the rough rule of thumb that we use is somewhere between 10 to 20 percent of uh, density. And then the question, of course, is what are the temperatures are going to be, you know, through the rest of this, this rainy season? Uh, and I can't recall was was last year because we got some early snow last year, but then things really dried up once we got into the beginning of 2022. And, and what were last winter's temperatures like in terms of uh, holding on to the snow? Uh, yeah, so the temperatures uh, stayed a little bit cooler. You know, it wasn't anything too warm, um, but that's, you know, just like last year, uh, we had one of the snowiest Decembers on record. Uh, we started off in October with one of the wettest days on record with, you know, recording uh, the most rain in a single day in some locations, and then followed by a December with uh, the snowiest December at the Central Sierra Snow Lab up uh, right near Donner Pass. And then there was no more rain and snow for the next three months during January, February, and March. Uh, it ended up being the driest January, February, on March, in March on record. Um, and in the Sierra Nevadas, especially in the northern Sierra, uh, the majority of our rain and snow fall during December, January, and February. And that usually accounts for about half of the uh, snow and rain that we get in a season. So when you're missing two of those months, that makes a really big impact. So um, these November storms right now are starting up right when we would usually expect them. Um, but, you know, it's still really early in the year to see what may actually happen. Sean, thanks. And when do you take those core snow measurements? What what time of year is that? Uh, so those will start up right around the new year. Uh, you'll probably see us out there either the end of December or beginning of January, and those usually run about once a month, um, all the way through about either April 1st or about May 1st, depending on how much snow we actually have up there. Okay, if not sooner, we'll definitely be talking with you when you do that first uh, measurement of the snowpack. Thanks so much, Sean. We appreciate it as always. Yeah, thank you. Sean de Guzman, who's manager of snow surveys and water supply forecasting for the State Department of Water Resources, also with us from the Pacific Institute, which is a nonprofit research institute looking at freshwater issues. Peter Glick, he's the co-founder, senior fellow at Pacific Institute. Peter, good to have you with us again. We appreciate it. You know, uh, share with us a bit, you know, the importance of, you know, getting early snowfall like this for California. Sure. So first of all, um, it's just, I have to say, as a Californian, it's just wonderful to see rain. You know, know, we've had three incredibly dry years. Uh, I've almost forgotten what rain was like. I'm sitting in my my office, I'm looking out the window, and it's raining, and it's just so wonderful to see. Um, It is just the beginning of our water year, as both Sean and Jamie mentioned. Our water year starts in October, and it runs through the winter, and then, you know, the summer Summers here are very, very dry, and so we want the rains and the snows to come now. Um, We're starting to build up a little bit of snowpack. Uh, The early snowpack is great. 
But again, as Sean mentioned, last year we got early snowpack and then we got nothing and it disappeared. By the time the spring came around, most of that was gone. And so the summer was really dry. It would be nice if we got these storms regularly, you know, every couple of weeks building up more and more snow. And then maybe in the middle, it could run off a little bit and recharge our groundwater. But we just don't know. Uh, you know, one of the challenges with climate change now is that the weather has become more more unpredictable. The droughts are more severe than they would be. The storms that we get are more intense than they would otherwise be. You may remember we had a very severe drought from 2014 to 2016, and then we had the, drought, the wettest year on record in 2017 when we had that crisis up at Oroville. So it's early. Um, I, I love to see it, but uh, but we just have to keep paying attention and see what happens. All right, Peter, thanks so much. We'll be checking in with you as well in the coming uh, next couple months. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Larry. Peter Glick of the Pacific Institute based in Oakland. We have some huge news financially for someone here in Southern California. Lottery officials say that a single winning ticket from that huge Powerball drawing was sold a short distance from our studios here at KPCC, Joe's Service Center in Altadena sold that winning ticket. So of all the places in the United States that could have sold the $2.04 billion Powerball jackpot, after more than three months without anyone hitting the top prize, Joe's Service in Altadena was where that ticket was sold. Hopefully it's a KPCC listener. Wouldn't that be great? I'll be over to your house. It's Air Talk on KPCC coming up. Steve Lopez, Los Angeles Times columnist. He was contemplating retirement and did some research about whether he should do it or not. And his new book, Independence Day, is the result. He's with us in studio in just one minute. Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. Wonderful to have you with us. Have I said how much I appreciate having guests in studio again? We went uh, two and a half years without being able to do it because of the pandemic. And I'm so glad that uh, Steve Lopez, Los Angeles Times columnist, is able to be with us today. Steve, good morning. Hey, it's good to be here, Larry. I wish uh, I had... Uh... Bought a ticket, a lottery ticket. Yeah, at Joe's in Altadena. Yeah, what was I thinking? <laughs> that's, that's so close. It's going to get so much publicity. I could have retired. I know. Yeah, with two billion. Yeah, we'll probably work a couple more years <laughs> then, then, then retire. Um, I love. I read first the column before I saw your book Independence Day. What I learned about retirement from some who've done it and some who never will. And I loved the range of people that you interviewed over this year's period of time to figure out your own fate, what you wanted to do. How did you decide on the people from whom you sought advice? Well, it was um, I, I knew early on that I thought a good way to get a range of experiences and tap that wisdom would be to reach out to Leisure World Seal Beach because it's several thousand people, almost all of them retired. And I had been out there before working on a column or two. And so I asked them. I knew that they had a community newspaper. And I asked if I could write a guest column. Uh, and they said, sure, what do you want to write about? And I said, I want to write about the possibility that I'm going to retire and get some advice from experts. 
So after that column ran, they started weighing in. And I got the full range from people who were so happily retired it was better than they thought it would be and they wished they'd done it earlier to people who it it wasn't going so well. Um, There's one woman who had a retirement party on a Friday. She was a law clerk um, in a patent company um, and couldn't wait to retire. And Friday they gave her the cake and the going away. And on Saturday she woke up to begin her new life. And wow, this is great. The rest of my life is one long weekend. And on Monday morning, She thought, okay, I didn't really plan this out very well. What do I do? On Friday, she called her boss, asked if she could go back to work, and she did. So I got the full range from from, uh, Leisure World, Seal Beach, and that that helped a lot. But I knew I wanted to get a little bit of everything, happily retired, miserably retired, can't wait to do it, can't afford to do it, all of that. Well, and and there are even some some gender differences that play out, which we'll get to. But I want to invite listeners who are either at this point of contemplating retirement, because here Steve has interviewed all these people on it. So he's his own expert on the topic of retirement. You can ask him a question, 866-893-KPCC. Also, if you're someone who's gone through this process, what advice did you find most helpful? And what was the biggest surprise for you? after you retired. 866-893-KPCC. You can also email us at atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your location and your first name. We appreciate that that very much. Our Sharon McNary's wonderful reporter, she retired here at KPCC. Gosh, it must be close to a year ago now. And then found a way to integrate coming back part-time, filling in for people, whether hosting Air Talk or on All Things Considered, as she'll be for Nick Roman uh, while Nick is away this week. And um, it's wonderful because we're all so sad. Here's this great talent leaving us to enjoy her her busy retirement because she has a lot of things she loves to do, only to get her back. And and reading uh, what you've written here, this is not uncommon. You know, I think retirement, the whole idea of retirement and the different ways in which we retire – is changing, and that's partly because of the economy. It's partly because we now have, you know, 70 million boomers in the U.S. We have 10,000 people a day turning 65 in the United States and 50 million retirees. And what what we found during the pandemic was that, um, you know, people, um, some people lost their jobs and maybe lost some of their nest egg and had planned on retirement but thought maybe I need to work at least part-time. We found that uh, people didn't have to go to the office and liked work a little bit better without having to deal with a horrible commute. So people, uh, you know, uh, worked from home. You've got flex time, part-time. You had a worker shortage that had some employers reaching back to those people who had left. Um, and so I, I, the days, of course, of the 35 years um, with the same company and out with a fountain pen and a gold watch <laughs> are pretty much behind us. People move around. They have not just different jobs but different kinds of careers. So I think that uh, we boomers, um, and I'm right in the middle, I'm riding that wave, um, um, are reinventing uh, retirement. Yeah, you and I are unusual with very long tenures at a single employer, although you worked elsewhere, of course, before the Times. You've been at the Times now how many years? It's uh, 21 and a half years, and it's almost 50 years as a journalist. I mean, I left uh, I left San Jose State University on a Tuesday night 
1975 and started work the next morning at the Davis branch of the Woodland Daily Democrat. And I got to work early because I was so eager to begin my journalism career. And the doors were locked. They weren't (laughs) open yet. (laughs) I I can relate so much. For me, it was uh, 1980 that I started 42 years ago uh, working in in this business. And, man, it goes fast, as I'm sure for people who love the work that they have uh, the privilege of being able to do. It goes it goes so very fast. We're at 866-893-KPECC. You also talked with um, you know famous people like Mel Brooks, uh, who were able to give you valuable information, and Norman Lear, the terrific, legendary, still producing television, Norman Lear. Yes, my, my interest in that, Larry, was that they are both still working They're both in their 90s, and Norman Lear in particular, who actually just turned 100, is really working. I mean, it was tough to get any time with him, and his (laughs) wife had said at the time that he was juggling maybe six or eight different different projects. But what I wanted to hear from them is um, if you're in a creative field, if you write, if you have to – if you've got to work with a blank page and, and get something on it, do those creative energies, is that a form of oxygen? And if you stop breathing it, do you suffocate? So I wanted to hear if maybe I might be cursed in the same way that they are. I'm not saying that I'm making great movies or television shows, but um, I wanted to talk to them about it, and they each had interesting advice. I mean, Norman Lear said, don't worry about it so much. Just live in the moment. He said, life is about swinging in a hammock. Between what's over, that's yesterday, and what's next. And if something gets you out of the hammock, if something in the morning drags you out of bed because you've got a thought and you've got an inspiration and you want to work with it, that's 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 success. Just roll with that. And Mel Brooks said, after listening to my dilemma about fearing that I would – um, you know, maybe wait too long to retire and have health issues get in the way of enjoying some of the things I've always had on my list. He said, so you, you love work. And I said, I feel like the luckiest guy in newspaper journalism. I've got a great job in a great city, um, but um, I might want to live on a kibbutz or move to Barcelona and learn how to flamenco dance and cook and play the guitar. And he said, so you go to the editors of the L.A. Times and you say, I love this. Thank you very much. But I want to do less of it and take more time off. So that was pretty good advice from Mel. And in fact, in the end, that's what I that's what I did. Well, it makes it makes perfect sense. And plus, if you went to Barcelona and did those things, you just want to write about it, right? Because you, said, you yeah. shared everything with your readers. You wouldn't just keep that to yourself. No, it was. I mean, I think it was Norman Lear who said, how long do you think you're going to be sitting there in Barcelona before you either pitch a travel story to the L.A. Times or write a book on your great transition, your move to Spain? We're talking with L.A. Times columnist, and he's re-upped for an extended period. Steve Lopez, Independence Day. What I learned about retirement from some who've done it and some who never will. If you want to talk with Steve about the advice he was able to glean from the many people that he interviewed over the course of a year preparing the book, we're at 866-893-KPECC. Also, if you want to share for you the biggest surprise that you had post-retirement something you didn't anticipate that maybe you can share with your fellow listeners, that would be great. Petra, in the high desert area, thanks so much for joining us. I understand you've been retired for eight years. Yes, in January. It will be eight years. I can't believe it. (laughs) Very good. So any surprises for you? 
Um, I think it was that I had to be patient. I've always been very active, and um, it really does take at least a couple of years to really um, adapt to the change. And um, I and you need a support system. Very important to have a support system of friends and family um, and retirement and your, you know, outside activities. And also I'm fortunate because I'm a professional social worker that I can do training and consultation, which I love. I love my profession. And I don't have to work Monday through Friday, you know, six to six or whatever. <laughs> well, that's great. And was the rhythm for you in retirement uh, very different? Um. No, because I already had so many things that I was doing on a regular basis, like my jazzercise class and other groups that um, it, it, I'm very active and I'm having the time of my, yeah. life, my life right now. Um, I'm actually traveling a lot. Well, that's great, Petra. Thank you so much. 866-893-KPECC, or you can email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. You know, one of the things I've just noticed in the people in, in my life who've retired, Steve, is that people who are very high energy and have a wide range of interests, I put my mother in this category, she's just going all the time. She's busier than the people I know who work. She has all different volunteer things. She's constantly, she's a big consumer of arts events. She travels. She lives a very full, very rich life and very involved in her community, Long Beach, where she lives. But I could have guaranteed that's how she would be as someone retired. And a lot of times, I think kind of how a person is wired expresses itself even more. So I guess we get older, we become more ourselves, you know, more of whatever we are. When we retire, I think it gets magnified, too. I, I think you're right about that. I think that uh, your personality stays the same. I do think that um, what I found is that um, with people who are not too uh, satisfied or fulfilled in, in retirement, they haven't anticipated that um, in retirement, as in pre-retirement, um, it's a roller coaster. Um, you have uh, little victories. You have disappointments. You suffer loss. Um, people kind of think that, you know, you're, you're going to begin that cruise and it's going to be clear sailing. It's not necessarily, but it is important. Uh, Nancy Schlossberg, who's in my book, she's in her nineties in Florida said that uh, you do need to embrace ambiguity because things are going to happen that you don't anticipate, but that it's, it's also good to, um, to, to, to think about what you'll do that will make you feel as though you matter because you're leaving something that matters. Say you're a nurse, say you're a teacher, say you're a writer, um, whatever. It matters. It matters to people. And if, if your life is about structure and mattering in retirement, you want, you want to make sure that you can, you can, you can build some meaning into the, the, the daily routine and, and mattering could be to the dog that has to be walked. It could <laughs> yeah. be to the grandchild who needs a visit or um, some help with orthodonture. Um, it could be that you join the nonprofit whose cause you, you believe in and you're going to mentor there or you're going to serve on the board. Um, so I think that I, what I found is that people are happy in retirement, um, had something of a plan. 
um, and they went with it, and they were willing to embrace ambiguity, as Nancy Schlossberg said, to accept, um, you know, um, curveballs and uh, just learn how to deal with that as a part of life. And and sometimes as we get older, having that kind of flexibility can be more more challenging. We'll, we'll talk about that as we continue with Steve Lopez, Los Angeles Times columnist. His new book, Independence Day, What I Learned About Retirement from Some Who've Done It and Some Who Never Will. We're at 866-893-KPCC. I'd like to hear your questions for Steve. Also, if you've gone through the retirement process, what was the biggest surprise for you? You can email us at atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your location and first name. Also, Steve himself had uh, quite a health challenge that he came through and a number of people close to him, you know, professionally, who who died unexpectedly. And that does change your approach to when you think about retirement. We'll hear what Steve has to say about that when we come back in 90 seconds. It's Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle, L.A. Times columnist Steve Lopez with us. The new book, Independence Day, What I Learned About Retirement from Some Who've Done It and Some Who Never Will. Thankfully, in Steve's case, he's not fully retiring, but he's taking Mel Brooks' advice to cut back. He'll still keep writing his columns for the Los Angeles Times, but with an, a little bit of an eased-off schedule, which is great, allowing him to do some other things, maybe travel a bit more like he likes and other things. Steve, I was just going to mention, uh, I know for you, one of the things that sort of pushed this point for you to consider was you had a major health event, and then uh, you've lost you know colleagues at the Times and other people who who um who died much younger than we would have thought they would yeah i um 10 years ago uh went in for my first of two knee replacements and this is all part of the book it's like when you're you've got joint disease and you've got uh you know i had an arrhythmia and i was on the same kind of healthcare calendar as my parents who beginning at about the age i'm at now began with cognitive loss and that was all part of the consideration Am I going to be somebody who waits so long to go on that long trip that when I finally do, I don't even remember my wife's name? Um, so I went in for a knee replacement because I was bone on bone, as they say, and very limited in my uh, activities. And um, in post-op, I went into cardiac arrest and flatlined. And um, I woke up and saw, you know, uh, six, eight, ten nurses, doctors looking down at me. And I, they said, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. Why? And they said, well, you died. Wow. <laughs> but you're back from the dead. And, you know, it, it, it. I was revived within a minute, I'm pretty sure. But it makes you think. I mean, it's, you know, that reminder of your own mortality um, is, is something that for me never, never goes away. We don't know when we're going to get hit with this or that. And I've, although I've loved what I've done for 50 years, um, I just, I do always wonder about maybe there's something I would love even more. And how will I ever know if I don't give it a try? Yeah. In the middle of the book, um, when I started writing it, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I zigzagged a little bit. And halfway through the 12 month deadline I gave myself, it starts on 4th of July, it ends on 4th of July. Um, um, I got an email one night from a county official saying, don't know if you heard, but uh, Tom LaBonge just died. And Tom LaBonge was a neighbor. He was my councilman. 
Um, and he was the exact age I am, nine days apart. And, uh, you know, if you've hiked Griffith Park with Tom LeBonge, you think he's going to live forever. And he died suddenly and unexpectedly. And when that happened, I thought, that's it. I'm out. It happened to me once already. I was lucky enough to be revived. But um, I better get out while I can and do some other things. And, um, you know, then I thought, though, Tom was one of those people for whom work was so much a part of his identity. Um, and he was termed out of office. And without that identity that had been a part of his personality and his makeup for so many decades, maybe that was difficult to adjust to. And I thought that could be me, too. And right after that happened and I was determined to retire, I began to rethink it. And I got two assignments, um, not assignments necessarily. I pretty much find my own stories. But two that I really, really enjoyed doing, and I thought, I am so privileged to be able to do this. The first was I'd written about a guy who was a Yale graduate who ended up on Skid Row and had a serious drug problem. I wrote a column about him and got a call from a woman who runs a South L.A. drug rehab program for women. And she said they'd like to talk to you about their stories. So I went and... You know, it's easy to make judgments about who ends up, um, you know, um, homeless, addicted, living on Skid Row. Um, but when I was interviewing those women, it was the classic story of homelessness in which they'd all suffered decades of trauma, beginning at an early age and through, you know, the foster care system and assaulted um, by the men they'd been involved with and you know, self-medicated and lost their children. And I was so inspired by their strength, not their weakness, but the way that they were fighting to regain control of their lives. And I thought, how great is this? That somebody calls me and says, yeah. do you want to meet these people who are rebuilding their lives? And the second one was, my wife and I were going to the desert for a, a quick weekend getaway in the spring, and I wondered if there were any wildflowers. And I checked the desert sun and saw an ecologist who lives in Palm Springs saying this is the worst ever because of the drought. Mm -hmm. So I called him and I said, what other signs are there of change in the desert? And he said, boy, you called at the right time. I'm working on a book on the impact of climate change on um, Joshua trees and Ocotillo. And I said, what are you doing? What kind of research? And he said, I have study sites. I, I have Ocotillo that I've studied yeah, for years yeah. and Joshua trees. And I said, can I go with you? And when I did, I thought... What a what a, what a great job. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Why would I want to give this up? <laughs> so true. Steve Lopez with us. Independence Day is new book. Oscar in South Pasadena. Good to have you with us. I understand you're a retired audiologist. Uh, yes. And what I noticed was that my patients who were elderly and uh, were active socially, they thrived and did better in retirement. And my patients who were sedentary and they said, you know, I earned the rest. I'm going to watch TV all day long. They had a lot more health problems and they didn't survive as long as my active patients. So it's quite, quite uh, shocking to see the difference in front of me. Yeah. Did you see a difference, Oscar, in also attitudinally, not just physical activity, but... but... Uh, yeah, the, the attitude was everything. These people were enjoyed life and they were going to grab life by the throat, even if they were 90. And they were looking forward to their next birthday, and they were looking forward to their next vacation. So I learned a lot from them on how to live my life. Oscar, that's great. How's your retirement been? So far, so good, man. The only problem is uh, I'm more retired than a lot of my friends, so uh, 
I have to wait for him to catch up to me. All right, Oscar, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, that was the thing that was so shocking for me about Tom Labonja's death is his attitude. There was a guy who, like, every day just grabbed, you know, life and so loved being alive and doing things with people. And that shocked me as much as anything. Yeah, it was. um, And, you know, um, his, his life of service. Um, had such meaning. He mattered. He mattered yeah. to people. He mattered even to his neighbors because he took their trash cans out oh, I have no doubt. on the pickup day <laughs> and no um, was looking after everybody always. Um, Incredible and, yeah. energy. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We're at 866-893-KPECC. Steve Lopez, his new book, Independence Day, What I Learned About Retirement from Some Who've Done It and Some Who Never Will. Hazel in Los Angeles says, I'm 101. I think people should use retirement to volunteer at organizations they care about to stay active. I've volunteered at musical organizations for the past few years. Hazel, that's wonderful. And congratulations. On 101. We'll be back in just a minute on Air Talk. At Joe's Service Center in Altadena, where the single winning Powerball ticket of more than $2 billion was sold, there apparently is a madhouse of people that have shown up there. Uh, wow. We haven't heard who the person is to this point, but it's gone three months without being claimed, without being won, I should say. The Powerball uh, thing, I mean, boy. Whoever wins that can certainly retire. I think so. <laughs> Become a Time subscriber if they're not now. 866-893-KPECC. Karen in Santa Monica says, when people retire, their marriages can shift dramatically. A lot of couples don't prepare for that. It causes problems in their lives. There's nothing as lousy as a mediocre marriage at retirement. Well, funny because you write about, you know, your wife who's a writer having to navigate during the pandemic working together, being in the same space. Yes, yes. I think that people do not anticipate the little changes. You're thinking about the big things, like what trip am I going to go on and am I going to volunteer and all of that. You don't think as um, you don't think about how every relationship will change. Um, the gentleman who called about, um, you know, waiting for his former colleagues um, to catch up to him so that he can enjoy their company in retirement. I think your relationship changes with your friends, with your colleagues, with your loved ones. And um, this this was true. And during the pandemic, uh, the L.A. Times shut its doors and we were, you know, working from the road and working from home, which meant that, yes, I was in my house a lot more than I have been in the 25, 6, 7 years I've been with my wife, Allison. And she's a freelance writer and editor who works at home, and that's her office. That's her sanctuary. And suddenly here I am, you know, clomping around the house. And uh, for me, it's like this the pandemic is a preview of retirement. I said, you know, we're, we're together more and wow, isn't this nice? And she said, if this is a preview, I do not want to see the movie. 
<laughs> a, a lot depends on the size of your house. We have a, a, you know, our house isn't all that huge. And so when my wife and I were both trying to work at home and you could hear through the closed door, you know, the two, she's trying to do her speech therapy with the kids she works with and I'm trying to do the show and then the dog starts barking. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's not good. I have a, I have a, I love my wife. We have a wonderful marriage. But, uh, yeah, you don't want to necessarily spend uh, 24 hours a day every day. Well, and, and the retired couples that I've seen really make it work. They may travel together, do things where they are together. But but sort of day-to-day when they're home, they're doing their own things. It seems they have their own interests that they're really immersing themselves in. Yes, and my, my wife keeps telling me, look, uh, I love you, but I'm not going to be your everyday buddy. So develop a larger social network and find things to do on your own. Uh, Phyllis in Pasadena says, I retired with lupus when I was 78. Retirement's a different story for those of us battling illness. It's the bleaker side of retirement, but a reality for a lot of us. And I'm sure this, again, was what you were factoring in is would you retire in time that you physically be able to enjoy it? Exactly, exactly. I wrote, uh, there's one gentleman in the book who um, retired kind of early. Um, he got a, there was a merger and he got a buyout and he was pretty comfortable and he um, planned with his retired wife to travel the world. They loved to hike. Um, and then came the crash and he lost a big chunk of his nest egg and then he got a diagnosis of cancer. And when I went to see him, um, he was back at work because um, the medical bills had piled up and the job was nothing like he had done. He'd been a middle management uh, employee at a utility company. He ended up at the checkout stand at a big box store near uh, near Disneyland, and and that's unfortunately one of those things that you can't see coming. The uh, you know a medical condition um, and the bills associated with it. And um, I, I focused not on financial aspects of retirement because I don't know anything about money, and I am not the winner of the $2 billion Powerball. I wanted to focus on the spiritual side, and there are a lot of people who get hit with things like that. I mean, it's obviously very common in retirement yeah. to suffer. Either you've, you've suffered some devastating illness or your spouse has, and it, it kind of your plans go awry. That's why, as Nancy Schlossberg put it, be prepared to embrace ambiguity. Ron and Claremont emailed us, said, my retirement plans have changed significantly since my wife passed unexpectedly in April of this year. Our plans are no longer possible, and I'm trying to discover what my plans will be in retirement. Thank you both. Ron, we're so sorry about your loss, and it's just right on point with what you're talking about, Steve. Yes, it's, I, and I'm hearing, I'm beginning to hear from a lot of uh, people like that. I'm so sorry to hear that yeah. that story. And uh, people do struggle. They do struggle to rebuild when they've lost the partner that they had spent all these years planning, you know, a wonderful retirement with. Uh, Craig in Riverside emailed, as a society, we neglect emphasizing the value of learning how to approach leisure and unstructured time that unless one has specific objectives and goals for some can be a daunting experience. Well, good point. And one of the people in my book is Rabbi Naomi Levy um, of Neshuva. And and she had, among many other uh, great nuggets of wisdom for me, said, if you can, if you can carve out weekends, a sabbatical, an extended vacation, sample the dream. Sample your retirement dream. If you think you want to learn how to fly airplanes or jump out of them or, you know, knit rugs or um, volunteer, 
sample it. Make sure that that's going to be fulfilling enough that you're going to have enough structure in that and feel enough of a sense of purpose and passion and meaning before you just um, pull the cord and jump you know, headlong into that without knowing whether it's going to work for you. She has a lot of good advice. As yeah. a guest on this program, uh, the rabbi has offered all kinds of words of wisdom. Tim in Anaheim emailed, is there any place or a website that will tell you, give you an idea of how much money you need to retire? Tim, there are a number of different uh, you know, reputable uh, places that offer that sort of advice. You can also contact, you know, Social Security Administration to find out how much you could there's a computational um uh program that they have you can run to see how much you can expect in that so steve i don't know whether that's something you looked at for yourself the financial aspects but there is a lot of good stuff out there it's one of the variables that makes this decision so difficult because you don't know if you're going to live another five years or another 25 and uh, so probably a good idea to have more money than you think you're going to need if you can work that out. Uh, we have Cliff in Carson City, Nevada, said, I retired to Nevada. Lower home prices here. I love it. Go to my local casino for video poker and afternoon naps. All right, Cliff. Very good. Karen in Long Beach. I worked for a large corporation for 34 years. Retired early because the company moved out of California. I agonized over the decision, but I'm glad I retired. Especially nice to be free of the internal competition and constant judgments of big companies. And... uh Thank you all so much. I really appreciate terrific input. Steve, thank you so much for sharing your great book, Independence Day. Thank you, Larry. And don't quit. We need you. All right. I'm, I'm planning to stick with it. I may cut back a bit, but I'm sticking with it. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your morning. I'll be back with you tonight at 8 o'clock for election night coverage on KPCC. Support for LAS comes from Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum, returning with a season of outdoor summer repertory theater on its scenic stage in the woods of Topanga with picnicking in the gardens before the show. A Midsummer Night's Dream is back along with The Winter's Tale, Wendy's Peter Pan, and Tartuffe Born Again set at a TV station in Baton Rouge. And for a contentious election year, Bernardo Cubria's The Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latin Vote. Tickets at theatricum.com.